Uh, in the Fultz household, we like to play board games together. And one of our, one game that we love is called Bananagrams, and it's kind of Scrabble-esque, and it always starts out this way. Me, Devin, the three kids, where it's kind of, there's kind of a time crunch on this game, and we'll start kind of helping the kids, but as the time starts to kind of evaporate, Devin and I get increasingly competitive. Because when you play a game, you want to do what? You want to win. Uh, now you want to have fun, but you also want to win. Years ago, I had some friends invite us over for a board game, and the game had no winners. And I thought, what a stupid game, you know? Uh, now, the fellowship was sweet, but if I'm going to play, I want to play to win. Uh, it's just kind of how it is. If you permit me one more story, I'll, I'll share this, and we'll, we'll get going. When Hayden, our son, was about four or five, um, one day, one Saturday morning, he challenged me to a race. Now, we had this really long driveway, and we were both on push scooters, and he said, hey, Dad, that's a race. I said, all right. So, you know, I gave him a good head start. And he said, ready, set, go, and we were off, and I smoked that boy. Um, you know, completely just blitzed him. And I got to the end of the line and I was doing my dance and he got to the end of the line and then he just starts bawling, just crying. Now, don't judge me, first of all. <laughs> you know, I let him win sometimes, but sometimes you just gotta put a good whooping on him. Um, one, so he knows that this is my dad. Two, so he knows that you lose sometimes. No participation trophies. But what I didn't know was my dad was watching the whole thing. And uh, so all he saw was ready, set, go. And I was, I was scootering like my life depended on it and uh, blitzed him. Well, my dad, I look up and my dad's just shaking his head, shaking his head. And I think they went and got ice cream and ate it in front of me. Um, but I said it once, I'll say it again. When we play, we play to have fun. We also play to win. Uh, and so now full disclosure, he's 12 now and he beats me at stuff all the time. But I tell you those stories to say this, the apostle Paul, I, I have this sense that he was a very competitive individual, probably loved sports because his, his go-to analogy in the many books that he writes in the New Testament have to do with sports, whether that is boxing or his, one of his favorite um, analogies is that of, of running the race. And so today we're going to kind of dive into Paul's, Paul's analogy here, his metaphor of running this race. But before we get into the text today, I want us to connect our thought today with last week. And just a reminder, whenever we read scripture, we always want to make sure that we read it correctly. When you look at a verse, you need to understand the context, what comes, what's the verse before it, how does it tie with the verse after it. Larger than that, you look at how chapters fit together and how a single really fits cohesively with the rest of the Bible because here's what's so easy to do. It's so easy to sort of read what we want to read into Scripture. And in fact, you can make a case for just about anything if you bend and twist and contort the text to say what you want it to say. And so instead of us reading our thoughts into Scripture, we have to be very careful to allow the Bible to read its thoughts into us. And so last week we saw the Apostle Paul. Remember, he shares this testimony and he talks about losses and gains. Remember, Paul sort of shares his pedigree. If anyone could have strove and ran the race and attained righteousness themselves, it was the Apostle Paul. But Paul came to this realization 
that even though I lived an incredibly righteous life, I felt infinitely short because God is perfect. Paul would say, and I am not. Now, regardless of how much I strived to live a correct life. Now, Paul benefited heavily from what Christ has done for him, just like we have. And so it might have been tempting for his audience to think, when Paul lists all these gains that he got, it might have been tempting for his audience to think, well, Paul has arrived. He's reached spiritual perfection. And so today, Paul wants them to see, no, 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 I am far from spiritually perfect. In fact, the apostle Paul, he faced the same things that we face. He faced frequent temptation. He faced discouragement. Paul walked through trials. He fell short. Paul wasn't perfect. And if Paul can't be perfect, looking at his past, then who can be perfect? No one can. So Paul wants his audience to know he is still striving. He's still running this race, not to have a relationship with Christ, but because he has a relationship with Christ. And then you might have had some in his audience ask this question, well, Paul, If you've received all the benefits from Christ, why are you still running? Why are you still striving so hard? If you're a Christian and you've the assurance of eternity, then why not live like you want? Which Paul does address this in the book of Romans also. If you're a Christian and you have assurance of eternity, why not live the way you want to live? Let me tell you what, that is a dumb question. But I hear it in today's times asked frequently. This is literally the same thing as someone asking me, well, you married your wife, right? You got the commitment, didn't you? Then why live in such a way that pleases her? Live like you want. If you want to see other ladies, see other ladies. What a dumb question. Why do I continue to chase after my wife even 15 years down the road? Because I love my wife. Why do we run this race and chase after Christ? Because we love Christ. Now, will you struggle? Yeah, will you be weary? Sure. Will you fall down? You bet, but you get up and you keep running. If you're a child of God, you're going to grow. That's what kids do. They grow. As children of Christ, we grow. If you're not growing, something is wrong. As Christians, we are running the race to win. What are we running toward? We're running toward Christ. We're running toward being like Christ. We're running toward, as the song said, the Father, because that is where we find all the answers. We're running from self, running from sin, running from temptation, and we're pushing into Christ. And so with that being said, if you've got your Bibles, we're actually going to get into the text now. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And I hope you have enjoyed Philippians as much as I have been and am. Uh, there's so much in these, these four short, short chapters. Now, if there's one thing I know about running a race, it's there are aspects of running that need to be attended to. So if somebody you know, said, hey, tomorrow we're gonna run a race, would you be ready to run? There's a certain amount of training that comes with running. When Devin and I first met, she was a runner and she would wake up on Saturdays and run like 12 miles. And every now and then she'd say, hey, you wanna go run? I'd say, nope, I'm good. I'm gonna run to the kitchen is what I'm gonna do and fix some breakfast. And I hated running. But years later, I started running a little bit and I learned some of how to run and it changed a lot. It got easier. It got better. And so Paul tells us if you're going to run to win, there's some things you need to know about the race. And so that's where we jump in. First thought this morning, if you're taking notes, is running to win requires awareness. It requires awareness. Verse 12, let's read it. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this 
or that I am already perfect. A runner has to have this awareness. They know what's going on in their body. Um, they pay attention to their breathing. They look at the, the surrounding terrain to make sure that it's level, to see where they're going. As a Christian, I am to have this awareness. Awareness of what? That I am not who I am supposed to be. That I am in need of continual change. This is the process we often refer to as sanctification. It is God working in me. Paul had this awareness of who he was. Even though he was in Christ, he knew he was not perfect. He was redeemed, yes, but also still a sinner, still struggling with the sin nature. And so Paul had an awareness of his sin. And the more that Paul grew in Christ, the keener that awareness of sin became. You know, as a Christian, as I am continually chasing Christ and he is continually changing me, he begins to point out things in my life now that I really didn't pay attention to back here. He will continue to show us what needs to be changed. And you know what? It's so easy to settle into a place where we are blind to temptations or blind to our own sin. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceptive above all things. Now, as Christians, we may pay attention to the big, bad sins, but it's so easy to say, oh, I don't do this, this, and this, but these things down here, maybe we're blind to those things sometimes. So I wanna ask you a question. If you'll notice, below each point is a question. What is in your life, Christian, that should not be there, and what are you doing about it? What is in your life that should not be there and what are you doing about it? To run the race, it requires an awareness, awareness of our sin. What sin do you frequently struggle with and what are you doing to change it? What is your frequent temptation and how do you plan to stay away from it? Because I know this about sin, just about anything in life, if you don't have a plan, it'll, it'll beat you every single time this awareness that we have to have of who we are, of our need, and that sin that is so easily deceptive in our lives. If you're gonna run, next thought, look at verse 12 again. He says, not that I've already obtained it, not that I'm perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Second thought is, if you're gonna run to win, it requires effort. Paul says this, he says, I press on the word there means to run swiftly it, it is running towards a goal it is chasing after something it's intentional it's running to win it's using all of your energy straining your muscles even when you want to quit you push on Paul says he is running we are running what are we running after not salvation because Paul's already explained last week that if anybody could have ran the race and earned salvation it was him so Paul so it can't be that what are we running after? What are we chasing after? Again, we're chasing Christian maturity. We're chasing Christ-likeness. Paul says, I press on. He wants us to see the Christian life is not a passive thing. It's active. It takes everything that you have. You know, sometimes in church we hear preacherisms. You know what a preacherism is? Something that preaches well, sounds good, Maybe it hits a point, but it doesn't give you the full picture. One of those preacherisms, and there's nothing wrong with this statement, but it doesn't give us the full effect. One preacherism is, let go and let God. That's my best preacher voice, by the way. Um, aren't you glad I don't preach that way? Let go and let God. Now, that sounds great, and it's true in one sense. Like, there are times where we have to trust and say, God, 
I can't do anything about this. I'm going to put it in your hands, Geronimo. I'm going to jump. I get that. But this phrase would have been foreign to Paul because what Paul wants us to see in this text is that the Christian has a very active role in becoming like Christ. That it will take everything you have as you strive and as you press onward. It takes energy. It takes time. This is our complete identity in Christ. But let's be honest, church. Let's let's talk about the, the hard thing because sometimes... We say things like, well, you know what, I don't really have time to focus on my relationship with God. Or I don't have time to, to read my Bible. Or I struggle to find time to pray. Or, you know, it's just so hard in the evenings to fit in time to do devotions with my family. Or I struggle to fit church into my schedule. Let's be honest. The truth is, it's not that we don't have the time. It's that we don't want to make the time. And I'll say this about my own life because I know me. If it's important to me, I do it. If it's important to me, I make the time for it. This goes back to our kind of our last thought of awareness because we say things like, well, you know, I don't have the time to read the Bible five minutes a day. Did you know this church, if you read the New Testament five minutes a day, it's about a chapter a day, you can get through the whole New Testament in a year. Now, church, if all of us can't spend five minutes in God's word, we are booking ourselves way too tight. Amen? And sometimes I'll say things like this. Well, you know, I just don't have time. But I can tell you, you know, the earned run average for every Astros player or give you the complete history of Middle Earth. It's not that we don't have time. It's that we, we make other things more important. You know, Solomon would say this in Ecclesiastes 1.14, many, many years before Paul came on the scene. He'd say, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind, a chasing after the wind. It's amazing to me that Solomon and Paul reached the same conclusion many, many years apart. Here's, here's the question for you. Everybody is chasing something. I'm gonna ask you this morning, what are you chasing? And better, better yet, I want you to ask yourself, what am I chasing? The, ch- the thing I chase after the most is fill in the blank. The thing I chase after the most is fill in the blank. And if it doesn't say Christ in that blank, you may be chasing something amazing and good and pure, but it is a substitute for what should be in that blank. And here's full disclosure. If I were to answer this question, there are times where I can easily write Christ in that blank. Then there's times where I look into my life and I write other things in that blank. And here's what I know. When anything else is in that blank, the thing I chase after the most is life doesn't work like it's supposed to. And I'm accepting a cheap substitute, even though what is in that blank may be amazing. Paul goes on, verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus made Paul his own. And so Paul says, I'm gonna strive to do the same thing. Paul pressed on. Now, here's the interesting thing about scripture to me. Is scripture, I believe, never encourages us to chase Christ out of a debtor's ethic of, well, God did all this for me. I owe him, so I'm gonna do all this stuff back for God. Let me tell you what, 
though you do owe God a lot, I owe God a lot, there's no way I could ever repay him. So the reason we chase Christ is because we love him. Because he's good, he's true, he's beautiful. Christian, what are you chasing after? Paul goes on verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. If you're gonna run to win, it requires that we run with focus. You know, I'm always amazed to watch sprinters run, whether that's just at a track meet or the Olympics. What do they do? They look forward. Their eyes are on the prize. They're not worried about what their neighbors are doing. They're not looking back to see if anybody's gaining ground on them. They are running to win this incredible focus. This focus directed in one place. I'll tell you a story. Several years ago, I was probably in my 20s, I had this, this gentleman said, hey, you wanna, go, you wanna go offshore fishing? I said, yeah, I've never been. I've been to the lake a million times, but I thought, you know, it'd be fun to catch something besides bass or or white perch, so I did. So I show up early in the morning and we boat out about 30 miles and uh, it was enjoyable, it was kind of calm in the morning, but the later the day went, the more the waves got a little rough and I'm moving all over this boat and the sun got hotter and hotter. And then the final straw was we'd been cutting up bait fish and uh, he said, hey, why don't you he talked like this. He's like, why don't you go cut some more of that bait fish up? His name was Chris. And I was like, all right, Chris, cut some more bait fish up. So the, I grabbed this pogey and I go to cut it up and it had been in that sun all day and guts just splattered all down the front of my shirt. Between the sun and the guts and the waves, that was it. Like I was ready to chum the waters myself. And so he said, he said, pick a place on the horizon and just focus on that. So I did that while I am just green. And after a little while, it kind of, kind of subsided a little bit. And this is the exact intention of what, what Paul is saying here. I can't put it any better than to pick this place, which the place we pick is Christ. That is our exclusive focus, that we stay with our eyes on Christ, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, that it's forward focus on Christ. You know, there's so many things that will distract you if you let them. Paul says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Again, this reminder, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. But Paul says, my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. I still repent to, to, to give me and, me and Jesus this, this cleaned out, close relationship. When I do wrong, I say I'm sorry, but I know Christ. And he says, 13, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Maybe you have something that's just holding you back. Something that's just holding you back. Remember last week, Paul talks about his list of achievements, all these grand things that he's done. Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, blameless, a Pharisee. Paul says, it's rubbish. Remember when we looked at Acts and we see Paul's testimony of how he directly opposed Christ, he locked up the church, had them put to death. Paul says, that is in my past. Christian, I want to ask you this, where is your focus. Maybe you're living in the past. Maybe you have sins and regrets and mistakes that are holding you back. If you have repented, let that junk go. Why are you holding on to things that God has said, it's done, it's forgiven. I don't hold it against you. Why do you hold it against yourself? 
Or maybe you have a, a case of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Well, I missed this opportunity and I should have done that differently. And I have these regrets. Paul says, we strain forward. We let those things go. Or maybe you're living in the past. Maybe you're looking back to what you've done or how you've served or what God did for you. Great, the, be- the best is yet to come. Let's keep marching and running toward Christ. What is distracting you? Where's your focus? To bring this into the realm of, of church life, I see so many churches that have problems looking back. Whether that is members who hold on to grudges or unforgiveness or past disappointments or setbacks, Or some churches look back and they say, you know what, God really used us here. Yeah, we did it awesome here. This was great. But they're not running and moving forward. And the truth is, is the church, if we're not growing, we're dying. There's this myth of neutrality that we can just make it work here for a while. Let's forget the past. I want to be a church who's looking at the prize. I want to run to win. Paul says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Verse 13, one thing I do, forget what lies behind. We strain toward what lies ahead. Now, here's what I believe. The Lord has used this church in an amazing way in the past. But I believe the best is yet to come. Well, why is that? Is it because I'm here? Hardly. Hardly. You know, I'm a member just like you. I think if we keep our eyes on the prize and we do what we're supposed to do. The best days are yet to come. Even though things may be difficult in the world around us and in society, I think God has this amazing plan for not just the church, but for this local assembly as well. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here Paul gives us the motivation for running. If you're gonna run to run, you gotta have some, some correct motivation. People who are motivated or people who run are motivated by something. People who run are motivated by something. When my crazy wife would wake up and run 12 miles on a Saturday, her motivation was she wanted to train for a marathon. There was a time in my life where I'd wake up every day and run about three miles, I need to get back there. My motivation was extra tacos for dinner. (laughs) The man is being chased by the grizzly, his motivation is not to get eaten. What motivated Paul? Paul, why are you running this race? What should motivate us? Paul says the prize. Paul was motivated by the prize. What's the prize? The prize is becoming like Christ. Now again, we won't be completely like Christ until we are in his presence. That is the ultimate finish line. But Paul says, I am locked on. I am running toward that line. But sometimes we run the race for the wrong motivation. Sometimes it's because we want God to bless us, which I like to be blessed by God. But that's not the reason we run. Sometimes we run the race because we want to look good and appear like we have our lives together. Sometimes maybe we run for peace, which, you know, seeking after Christ and him changing us brings peace and joy, all of that. But the reason we run is because we love Christ, not for any other reason. Why am I a Christian? Because it's true. Why do we run? Because we love Jesus. And with that comes all these other things. Let me ask you, Christian, How's your motivation for living the Christian life? Why do you do what you do? Do I have the correct motives? Because you know, the thing that's sort of silly is sometimes we do the right things, but we do them for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we, we do things for the praise of man. Good job, you get it. But then the blessings from the Father are null and moot at that point. Let's continue on as we wrap up in a moment. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Running to Wren requires a correct mindset. Paul says those of us who are mature should think this way. What way? That pursuing Christ, running the race requires effort. That Christianity is not a casual affair. That it will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but living a Christian life where you become like Christ is incredibly costly. And he says, if you don't think this way, God will show you differently. If you're a Christian, God is going to convict and he's going to show you the truth of his word if you are willing to receive it, not reading into it what you want to see, but allowing him to show you the truth. That's a hard thing. Because we have biases and prejudices and things we, wanna, we want to have in our life and God's word comes along and says, no, no, you do it my way. How's your mindset? Is your thinking in line with Christ's word? Last thought, Paul says this. If you're gonna run to win, it requires consistency. And here's what I know about runners. They do the same things over and over and over and over. They develop a stride. They focus their breathing They put one step in front of the other. Repetition, repetition, repetition. This is what Paul is saying. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's saying this, keep living as a Christian should live. He's saying keep striving, keep to the spiritual path. If you're running a race, you stay in your lane and not your neighbor's. Don't go off-road. Well, how do we do that? Well, part of the way we do that is the spiritual disciplines. You read your Bible. You pray You have community. You know, we're not running in this race alone. Of course, Christ is with us. but We have other believers that run with us as well that should show us godly examples. There are other runners. Friend, you're not running alone. Be thankful that you're not. How do we stay on path? Paul talks an awful lot about how our trials keep us in our lane. Am I staying on path? Am I practicing the things that keep me running straight? Now, as we close out, I want to ask you this, Christian. How's your running? Because you are in a race every single day. How's your awareness? What is in your life that should not be there? How's your effort? What are you chasing? How's your focus? What's distracting you? Are you leaving the past in the past? How's your motivation? Are you running for the right reasons? How's your mindset? Is it in line with what God says? And are you running with consistency? Are you doing the things that keep you on the path? Now, I want to close out with this verse. This is 2 Timothy 4.7. And this is Paul writing to Timothy right before he's going to be taken outside of the city and have his head chopped off. Here's what he writes to Timothy as he's sort of instilling these thoughts into his son in the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And when you get to the end of your life, will you be able to say or to pray what Paul says right here? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Years ago, there was a movie that I enjoyed called Secondhand Lines with Robert Duvall. And uh, Robert Duvall, there was a phrase that he says throughout the whole film. He says, you know what? I want to die with my boots on. When I go out, I want to die with my boots on. That is to say, I want to exit this world doing what I love, you know, not just sitting back and relaxing. I want to die with my boots on. I think that's what Paul is saying here. And I'm dying with my boots on, or at the very, to stick with his analogy, I'm dying with my cleats on. I've fought 
the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The Christian life requires effort and striving if we're going to chase after our Savior. 